Professor Ruth Barton is the head of the School of Creative Arts in Trinity College, Dublin. She is the author of several books, including Irish National Cinema and critical biographies of the film star Hedy Lamarr and the silent director Rex Ingram. She appears regularly on radio as a film historian and critic. Her new book, Irish Cinema in the 21st Century, is an important contribution to debates on the possibility of a national cinema in the age of globalisation. Ruth Barton, thank you very much uh, for joining us on the Film Ireland podcast. Um, My pleasure. I'm really excited to talk to you today about your new book, Irish Cinema in the 21st Century, which is somewhat of a a sequel to your previous book on Irish cinema, which was brought out in 2004. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. I wrote um, Irish National Cinema for Routledge in 2004. And at that that point, there were actually a number of books on Irish cinema, kind of general histories and you know, analyses of Irish cinema. And mine was the latest of, 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 a, of a number of them. And what I did in that book was it was a history of Irish cinema and films about Ireland from early and silent cinema right through to the beginnings of the Celtic Tiger. So mm. it came out in 2004. I'd stopped writing it by about 2003. And so you had just the kind of early Celtic Tiger films. And that book was arranged so kind of history first, theme second. And, and I'd always thought of that book as one of its functions for people who wanted to teach a course mm. on Irish cinema. And, and I've always been aware of the fact there are many people out there in the world who teach Irish cinema as part of maybe an Irish studies course. Sure. Um, but I was also obviously speaking to my peers as well and kind of uh, there were ideas in it that I was that I was testing out. So that was that book and it it really fill, filled that function and and I know that um, students of the years have, have had it as their yep. textbooks. Um, <laughs> And so then, you know, the years passed and I was, I was working on other projects. I wrote other books, but I always had in the back of my mind that, that, you know, this was going to go out of date, the, the book in 2004 and actually went out of date a lot. And one thing I could have done is I could have produced a second edition and just updated and maybe another couple of chapters. But really by the time I kind of got my act together and I'd written the other books and, I was thinking, what will I do next? I said, right, I actually need to start again because so much has happened since 2003, 2004 in terms of Irish filmmaking, but also in terms of Irish culture because I was writing, there was the Celtic Tiger and then there was the recession. And by the time I was actually finishing off the book, we were out of recession into a new boom. And so on the one hand, the actual conditions of film production had, had quite substantially changed in that the co-production had really become king at, at that stage. So that the economic conditions had changed and also obviously during um, the crash, the years of the crash and the recession, there was clearly much less money around for making films. But at the same time, people were being very inventive with, with their money and, and making it go further. So I wanted to write about, so the, the sort of, I've always been interested in that intersection between the, the economy of, of film production and what we see on the screen, because what we see on the screen is always dictated, was nearly always dictated by the economy and the sure. structures of the industry behind it. So the, it the, economy, the economy was one thing. The other thing was that simply Irish cinema had changed a lot. So there were whole new genres out there, like, for instance, the horror film that had basically not existed, or if they had, I hadn't paid any attention to them. Animation had become a big deal, which is previously it really wasn't. And um, the documentary had really entered a whole very strong new phase. So I wanted to look at all of those and, and devote chapters to them against this background. 
But I also wanted to weave in and out a new consideration of what I'd been doing before, which was thinking, well, what is a national cinema? Mm. What, what do we mean when we say an Irish film? Uh, what's the function of a national cinema? Is Should it be addressing the nation? What nation? Who are we? Yeah. <laughs> and these very big questions then. So I, I didn't have time, perhaps, or space, perhaps luckily to fully get to the bottom of that well. Uh, but I was trying to weave those questions into this, into this. And so hence the whole, a whole new book. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a fascinating read. And I really look as a, as a filmmaker and a film scholar, it's a book I massively appreciate because, um, I think even, I think there is a, an underappreciation for our own national cinema in some places. Um, and I think there are films that sort of get lost in between 2004 and 2019. And it's just so lovely to see them written about. Um, so I think one of the things that was really very evident from 2004 and this book in particular is um, how to define an Irish film. And I think that question is complicated because and I'm thinking of transnational stuff. So I did a class, I did a master's class last semester in UCD on contemporary Irish film and television. And I, I had to do a presentation on transnational Irish film and Irish co-productions was kind of the theme. Um, and I found that really complicated identities of Irish film. Um, and I there is like, especially in your chapter one, which goes kind of what it, what is it's the whole chapter is trying to define it. So how I mean, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about what makes an Irish film an Irish film. It's really, really hard. It's, it's very it's, hard. It's so hard yeah. uh, because you know, in times past, it, it was a film that was that was funded in Ireland and that was it. And you could have kind of a bit of money elsewhere, but majority funding in Ireland. Well, that's gone. That model has gone. So you can't use that model. Um, you know, is Brooklyn an Irish film? Uh, yes, I have it on the front. I <laughs> have on the front cover of my book, but actually I, I, I don't talk about it a great deal um, because I was, I, I was trying to focus on films. I decided that so as to stop myself going crazy, focus on films set in Ireland. So those those should be Irish films, but of course they're not always. Mm. And there are there are all those uh, rom coms like Leap Year, for instance, that most people would rather shrug off and say, ah, you know, it's kind of fantasy of yeah. uh, of Ireland, and 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 so uh, we don't really want it to be an Irish film. I think that you know what I wanted. What I wanted to consider in terms of what is an Irish film is a film that directly addressed some aspect of Irishness. And I didn't actually care how it was funded. And I think we need to actually stop caring too much about how it's funded, because I think that the very good producers um, are people who can make the film they want. They can put the money together. They can make the film they want with the directors and other creative staff using that money. And so that, OK, yes, the interiors are shot in Luxembourg. But it shouldn't matter because you should still be watching that film unaware of the fact that the interiors are shot in Luxembourg. And it can, yes, be jarring when you get non-Irish actors in roles that an Irish actor could have very evidently filmed, filled, mm. but that's because of co-production funding. So it seems to me that you, you can't really, although I was tying it to films sort of about this country made in this country, a set in this country, just to keep the book short, I could have included more films, uh, films that in, that take place entirely overseas. And I could have, I mean, I didn't include Room, for instance. I noticed that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't include Room. Uh, I mentioned it, but I didn't include it very specifically 
because, you know, yes, we celebrated Rome as a big Irish achievement. Yes, we celebrated the favourite as a, as a big Irish achievement. But fundamentally, that's not what I was talking about. Mm. Um, and I don't think that to the average cinema goer watching the favourite, for instance, or Rome, they thought, ah, this is an Irish film. So I, that was, and it's very hard. It's very hard. But yeah. those were kind of my litmus tests. Otherwise, it would just be endless. Yeah, I suppose the, the average person watching The Favourite, the, the average audience, Irish audience member watching The Favourite probably would not guess unless they knew that the producers were Irish and one of the production companies was an Irish company would not know that it was an Irish film. And I guess that's where that's where that identity is complicated. And I think uh, one of the things that was also discussed kind of, it's, it's kind of throughout every chapter in the book, you talk about um, Northern Ireland, which I think is a really fascinating chapter and such an important book. And I feel like in Northern Ireland, um, and this is reflected somewhat in our own national cinema, is, you know, they have kind of more of an identity because of their traumatic history. And I feel like our traumatic history is very much reflected at times as well. Um, and I think that's just part of the theme is that there's so many themes. And I think you talk about gender a lot um, in Irish national cinema, in Irish national cinema, your other book, you talk about kind of motherhood and mother Ireland and things like that. Um, so I'd like to talk a lot about kind of trauma in the past um, in greater detail, but I suppose what are the things in our Irish national cinema that we're so preoccupied by? What are those things that are that we're obsessed with? Yeah, for sure. I think that one of the big changes that happened between the two books was the not complete death of the history film, but certainly the falling off of the history film. Because when I was writing the previous book, the history film was big. You know, it was The Field, it was Michael Collins, sure. it was The Butcher Boy, uh, Korea, all those, all those films. And, the, and those were films where, where the filmmakers had a very particular purpose, which was nearly always to consider nationalism, post-colonialism, and, and who are we because of our past? And so how did our past come to define us? And then obviously the Troubles films, um, you know, were huge. But I, it seemed to me that when we when we came into this century, into the, into, you know, post 2000, that that newer generation of filmmakers, let's say the Lenny Abrahamsons and, and people like that, very specifically didn't want to make history films. And, and I think in part it was to say, okay, those were, those are those guys. Now we're here and we don't want to, we don't want, we're different. We don't want to make history films. I think it was also in part because they had, I th actually think it was an equipment issue too in the beginning because in the early days of digital camera, you couldn't make history look good. Mm. You couldn't give that kind of glam look that, that history films like to have. But I think it was also because the current batch of filmmakers, and it's not just Lenny Abrams, it's loads of them, are very much more concerned about identity politics now, what it means to be Irish now, mm. rather than how did we get to this point of being Irish. And and I think there is much more concern about looking at the present. Now, Black 47 came out after I wrote sure. the book, and so that's that's a different film. But Black 47 is a very contemporary history film. Yeah, right. It's an Avenger film. Yes. It's about a guy who wins, right? So it... It is a film that is very much distinguished away, that distinguished itself very much from that older thing about the kind of losing everything and the sense of loss that accompanied those old history films. So it seems to me that while the contemporary generation of filmmakers are much more about now than the older generation. And why is it that you think that we're more concerned now about the present than we were maybe in 2004? 
I think it was because I think it is, and it's about you know it's, you're talking about trauma. I think there was a, such a trauma. There was there was actually well that sounds odd a trauma that came with the Celtic Tiger, which was that sense of who are we now. Um, there was such a change in what it meant to be Irish because we had many new immigrants coming into the country. So the whole actual visual surface of what it meant to be Irish changed, both in terms of people, in terms of buildings, in terms of the rural depopulation, and so on. That that accelerated. So. I think I think that what really prompted people was first of all the Celtic Tiger, which and there was a lot of soul searching in the Celtic Tiger. Mm-hmm. Had we lost who we were, and then you get this kind of whum of the of the crash, which caught people unawares. And then it's almost like, oh, were we were we being punished for our excessive lifestyles? And is this who we really are? Are we kind of really miserable and poor? Um, and and so I think that people were very much engaged with with those issues, but they didn't see them as being defined by the Civil War or by the Catholic Church. Right. They saw them as new issues. And and again, one of the things I was trying to look at was the impact of globalization yes. on Ireland. And I think for many people, it's globalization that's caused a lot of the change. Now, obviously, there are films about the residue of the Catholic, you know, of Catholicism. But it seems to me that people are looking much more outside of Irish history into the wider world and saying, okay, what's our position in terms of the wider world, not where have we come from in terms of, of 1916? Yes, no, I know what you mean. And I, I feel like as well, I mean, this is something you touch on, um, you know, kind of throughout a lot of the chapters is sort of looking at neoliberalism a lot. And I, I sort of feel like that is a big preoccupation as well with where we are at as filmmakers is kind of focusing on the person and the individual, or the Irish, the Irish man or the Irish woman um, or the Irish family, which I feel comes up a lot as well as the family dynamic. Um, and I'm just, you know, I was thinking a lot about Sing Street because you talk about neoliberalism a lot in Sing Street. Um, and it's like it's quite a so taking that as an example, it's quite a positive, upbeat, forward looking film. And I'm thinking about all those Irish films from the last, say, maybe two or three years. Um, and it got me thinking about all these, you know, people who say that Irish film is just really depressing. You know, but Sing Street's not depressing. It's very upbeat. So where are we now? Well, where we are now, I think, is we have actually a multiplicity of films, right? Yeah. So whereas before you could you could kind of pigeonhole what an Irish film was much sure. better. You know, there was <laughs> the rain and the father beating the sun and it was really all John McGahan, right? Yeah. Um, whereas now, what's great is we have an industry, pretty much small, and we have a multiplicity of filmmakers making a multiplicity of films. So on the one hand, you can have Once and Sing Street, which are upbeat musicals by and large, where you know, the guy gets the girl or the guy decides to move on or whatever it is, yeah. right? But you can also have Pilgrim Hill, which is actually a film that harks back much more, I would have thought, to the films of the 80s where it rains mm. and, and, and everybody's miserable. And and you can tolerate that. Uh, or you can have the documentaries which are, which you know look at very different aspects and poke around in very different corners mm. of Ireland. And I think that's one of the good things about Irish cinema. And I, I have many good things uh, to say about Irish cinema. And I think, as you said in the beginning, we're too quick to dismiss it, mm. uh, and 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 if you start digging around, and I, you know, it was a principle that I should watch everything I wrote about. So I watched an awful lot of films, uh, and there were, you know, there was dross uh, there, but I kind of tried. I just decided to, I wouldn't be too hard on the dross because the dross actually died anyway. In most, it, it found, you know, it, it, its grave, which is that most people didn't go to see. So I think that that yeah, that's one of the things I take away from contemporary cinema is that you can hold, you can have Sing Street, and you can have Pil- Pilgrim Hill, yes. and that's fine. 
they li- they can live, they can coexist. They can coexist. You know, Irish yeah. national cinema isn't really sad, depressing. No, you know, about the you know, look at the a retrospective look at the past. Um, and actually, just kind of on that topic of identity, I really want to talk about animation mm-hmm. because I was so glad that you had a whole chapter dedicated to it because, um. It's an unsung hero of the Irish industry. It's so enormous. We export so much. Um, I think we have a huge amount of multi-award winning animators in the country, main, namely Nora Toomey, just recently with The Breadwinner, amongst others. Um, and, you know, films like Book of Kells and Song of the Sea have this beautiful animated imagery that really harkens back to Irish Irish mythology and things like that. And do you think it's more effective to to use a form like animation to to have those kinds of um, feelings and thoughts and mythos within their narratives? Animation, as you say, is, is really important. I think the one thing we have to be careful about when we're celebrating is that what we need to develop is inter- is intellectual prop- properties mm. so that a lot of the animation that we're exporting is we're just producing it for other people. Right. And the great thing about Song of the Sea and Book of Kells, those two in particular, is that they're, that they're Irish animated films. And so that, you know, they're conceived of and, 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 and made well. I mean, they're made as much as they're, they're made all over the place. Um, and I think they are fantastic, as you say. And I think that use of visuals in particular, in Book of Kells, also in Song of the Sea, and all those kind of that great kind of Celtic imagery mm. is fantastic. Um, they they were problematic in terms of they didn't make money. Yeah. So they get a lot of awards, they get a lot of kudos, but they don't make money. So if you want to make Song of the Sea or Book of Kells, you also have to make Puff and Rock. Sure. And, and a lot of other materials. So it's like, this is what we do at night when we're not making money. We make these fantastic animated films. A- and animation has its own problems because that kind of classy family film which these films are there isn't a huge audience for it so so you so animation i think is very very interesting in the way that they've been really clever the irish animators in 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 i mean they're hugely successful but much of what we see again it's like what's an irish film much of what we see uh, would not be identified by most people watching it as irish and, you know, we have a very, the animation industry has a kind of unconventional start and such a fascinating start, actually. Do you think you could talk about Murakami Wolf and Don Bluth? Yeah, that's like that? right. It had this extraordinary start, which is Sullivan Bluth coming here and in, in the most patronising of terms saying, you know, we tried Canada. Ah, oh, they were, you know, they were full up. So we tried the UK. They were full up too. And then somebody said, oh, come to Ireland. And there's this, this quaint little island in the middle of the sea. And we just came here and we just love it. But also, of course, they got massive amount of, of, of support from um, then the IDA to come here, and and they set up and they made they made kind of sub Disney uh, films like All Dogs Go to Heaven and, yeah. and films again uh, an American Tale that were that were not in any way identifiably mm. Irish, but of course they trained stacks and stacks of people, and that you know the, the course in Ballyfermot was set up, and that's been the star of the animation uh, production. Uh, process and then IADT has come in too. So now you have two colleges that really arise kind of indirectly out of Sullivan Bluth and Murakami coming here. But then of course actually didn't really work for them and so also what was very interesting I think was that you get people you know like the cartoon saloon folks saying actually we don't really want to do sub-Disney animation we want to do something different Mm. and so they they kick out and they set up their own company 
and and then you get you know you then you get book of uh, book of Kells, song of the sea coming out of that. So it is a very interesting history, which is exactly them saying no to globalization <laughs> and yes to an Irish product, and actually having the real you know strength of purpose to 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 do it, which is extraordinary. A, a feature length animation is a challenge. Yeah, and I think it's um, I mean it's it's paid off in them in some ways because obviously it's very highly regarded and highly rated. Um, and uh, no, it's it's something I'm very, very glad to see them still kind of creating such great work. Um, and I actually, I watch, I, full disclosure, I do watch Puff and Rock the odd time. I think it's so sweet and it's nice to hear. Oh, it's charming. It's yeah. charming. Yeah, <laughs> it is and it's charming, nice to see yeah. something like, uh, it's just nice to see, to hear like Chris O'Dowd narrating such a, a well, highly regarded and well-loved kids program now that's kind of everywhere. Yes, no, it is. It, yeah. it is fantastic. I mean, their the success is massive. Yeah, and I, I love to see. So I've I've quite young nieces and nephews, and I love, you know, watching them watch Doc McStuffins. Even though there's nothing inherently Irish about that at all, but I'm, I know where that comes from, yeah, which is yeah. Smithfield, which yeah, is where the right. like offices are, um, and even Octonauts and things like that. It's lovely. Um, so it's I suppose it's a sector that I'm I'm as a filmmaker very proud of, and I'm very glad that that chapter is included in your book. Oh, great. Um, and it's, there's another thing I suppose. Just I'm gonna kind of I'm kind of moving through your chapters and moving through the themes of your chapters. Um, and one of the things I really want to talk about, and um, we'll go back to Northern Ireland, um, is gender. So masculinity, um, Irish masculinity, um, Irish women. Where do these fit into Irish cinema in the, the 21st century? Well, here's the thing. First of all, I decided not to do a separate chapter on gender, which I had done how, previously. How could you? It's so, like, it's so enormous. It's so enormous. And also then you, you, you know, you silo it. You say, okay, dealt with, put it away. So I wanted to thread it through everything because I think it's a concern of mine. It doesn't, it doesn't go into just one chapter. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I get fed up because I get fed up because Irish masculinity is always in crisis, right? Oh dear. Right. Um, oh dear. Oh dear. I'm so sorry for you guys, but actually, can we now turn our attention to Irish <laughs> women because uh, you know, know. We, we might like to, our concerns to be considered as well. And, and and what I was trying to do was not be too negative. But on the other hand, I, I do think, and this is something I was kind of thinking about in the book, you have on the one hand a pretty unevolved image of women in Irish cinema. Overall, there are very, very few Irish films where you can really say, that's me. That I recognise that person on the screen, or I'd like to be that person on the screen, or I'm really engaged that person on the screen's dilemma. I recognise it, and um, yes, we've had a big movement towards uh, having more women uh, working behind the camera, as sure. you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not enough. Uh, f- there have to be an, there has to be a lot of kind of shifting here. And primarily the guys have to get it together because actually I've had enough of gangsters. I really have. Oh, I, don't, I don't want to see I'm any so more. I'm so glad to hear you say that. <laughs> I don't want to see any more Irish gangster films. Fun as they are. They are fun. Oh, real fun. Um, particularly if you're, you know, pimply and aged 18 sure. guy. But I'm, I, I just had enough. And, and what also concerns me is that I'm concerned about tokenism and Irish women directors. And I'm concerned that the big budgets are not going to Irish women directors. And so this is one of the things I was also talking about in this, that you do, we do have, you know, fantastic films by Irish women, like for instance, Snap and Mammal and these films. Mm. Who's seen them? And, and, and these are films that have very small budgets. They're, they're set in kind of small corners of Irish, of, of Irish life. They're, um, 
They're not the films that trip off people's tongues when they're naming the best 10 Irish films of the year. Because, right. And when I was actually writing that book, they were really hard to get. Yeah. Um, they're probably now on viewing platforms, but you I mean, okay, I bought DVDs, but forget DVDs. Nobody buys DVDs. I eventually bought, I think, Snap from some Dutch yeah, DVD seller. And I think Mammal, I had to go online to eventually find it somewhere. Um, so that's not good. Mm. And I, I, so I think that we need a much greater sense that, that women's stories are interesting. You don't have to take guys out of the picture. I mean, I'm not saying I just eradicate all male film directors. That would be stupid. But I just think that guys need to think a little bit more about having interesting and rounded women characters in their stories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would say if I had, a, you know, saying I think we need a better kind of mentoring system for women directors, mm-hmm. that women directors need to not feel intimidated by the process. And then the other kind of siloing thing that, that goes on that concerns me is interdocumentary. Because documentary is an appropriate career for a woman. Yeah, actually, this interesting. I, I actually wish I had earmarked. There's a really interesting quote where you do talk about the fact that doctor, there's a, a lot of women filmmakers in documentary because of the hours suit them. Um, it's it's not as high pressure or intense so they can kind of go about very conventional or rather traditional roles of if they have kids or and things like that. Absolutely. And these are all these are these are positives. Mm. But at the, at the same time, again, it's yeah, they're being very much pigeonholed into that into that niche. And also, I think it's also that sort of slight expectation that somehow women can tell personal stories a bit better. You know, they can yes. they've got more empathy than We're guys. Nurturing. That's it. Nurturing. Yeah. <laughs> so they can they can, you know, they can interview people and they can sort of get something out of them and they can, you know, winkle out that that kind of touchy feely story. Um, well, that's all nonsense, of course. Um, but I think women have been pigeonholed into those into the into into documentary. And it's great. They're making fantastic documentaries. Uh, but I, I I'd like that to change too. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I I would as well. As somebody who like I'm desperate to make my first feature film um, and I'm desperate to see, you know, young women on screen and people my own age as well. Um, and I think that will happen. Um, I suppose even, you know, to put this all in because I'm kind of gushing about kind of my own trajectory. And no, I think it's this is a conversation and you're a young woman filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. I'm writing about you, but you know, I'm not a young woman filmmaker. <laughs> I can only observe from a perch what, you know, yeah, what, but, what's the, what the challenge is for young women filmmakers. Well, I, I definitely think that um, just in, in recent years, I've seen, you know, women reflecting themselves on screen. Um, so m- one of my kind of mo- more successful short films was was a film called Terminal which was about women, two women that meet at an airport to Portugate that, that have to, they're, they're both going over to Manchester to get abortions and they both talk about that. Um, and I suppose that was kind of very contemporary, um, you know, I suppose not contemporary because obviously, it, you know, it was, it was based on the legislation that came in in 1983. But I suppose for me personally is when all this activism blew up. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that you know, I will, we will see, not, I suppose, I'm, see, I'm, I'm babbling now, Stephen. No, blah, what, blah, what blah. you need to do, what you need to do is, you see, you need to make that feature film, right? Yes. Because with all the best will in the world, everybody starts on, on short films, and yes. that's fantastic. Yeah. But nobody sees them, right? Who sees short films? They see them at festivals. Yeah, that's right. Um, or online. Or, or online, yeah. or your peers love them, and everybody, you know, does sort of thumbs up online when they appear, if, if they can get to see them. Uh, but, but you have to make documentary, uh, you have to make feature films. It's true. Yes. Because that's yeah. when you get noticed. Absolutely. And that's when you'll get the international funding and all those things otherwise people are taking a risk on you or you need to be able to work in tv and this Mm -hmm. is the other big gap 
which is that uh, you know RTE is not really f- uh, taking risks, yeah. taking funding risks, and so if more people could you know start off doing a high-end TV drama, for instance. That would be a great way in, uh, yeah. and and so 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 those opportunities need to happen. And don't forget, RTE is funded by the state; mm-hmm. it has a duty to the state. Uh, the BAI is is there, and so it should have some kind of obligation to to support uh, new voices. Yeah, right. Because if we yeah. keep hearing the same old voices over and over again, uh, <laughs> we, will, we will be at the same situation where RTE is not actually getting. Right. Getting to people. Well, this is it. And um, I remember actually Ed Guiney was, uh, he gave, um, he was part of a panel of filmmakers and funders in the IFI about, God, about three, four, five years ago, maybe. And he said, he stood up and he said, the relationship between the Irish Film Board and RTE is dysfunctional. And um, Jane Gogan was in the audience and James Hickey was in the audience. And everyone was just... Kind yeah, he can call it, it out, right? But, but everybody can, else is too scared to say it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I was, yeah. I was very glad that he did because it sparked conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think he just said, he just gave a very harsh truth. Um, and now Screen Ireland, as they're called now, are, um, they're actually funding more television, which I think is great. Um, and at least Screen Ireland are trying to do something about their gender quotas and they're trying to increase mentorship and all that kind of thing, which is, which I think is great. And I'm, I'm actually in favour. I'm, you know, some people maybe aren't, um, I'm in favour of gender quotas. Um, I think they're a positive thing. Um, and I'm very lucky as well to have gotten, um, some amazing mentors over the years, um, from Screen Skills. Screen Skills. (laughs) In fact, the same producer who was the same producer who was who was trying to get me some TV work just recently. Um, she was she met me through. Uh, I was shadowing a director, um, Imogen Murphy, fabulous director on the second season of Can't Cope Won't Cope. Um, and you know that's how she met me. She got me into to shadow the, exclusively shadow this person. It was as in it was exclusively for emergent women directors, which I thought was really nice. Um, anyway, I suppose that's actually a really nice segue into short films because one of the things that I probably loved the most about this book was that in every chapter you do you include a short film yeah i wanted you know how do you write about short films there's so many they deserve a book on their own enormous amount of shorts yeah Yeah. enormous amount of shorts of which most of which i haven't seen but i i I, you know in the end i decided not that i could have easily done a whole book could have done a whole chapter it was just a kind of conceit that people would read them more would you know they might flick past the short film mm-hmm. chapter but if i popped one in and the idea was it's kind of almost like programming a film season you know that yeah. you'd have the little short film which comes before the chapter that's themed in the same way as the short film is themed and and yeah. so it allowed me to pick out uh, some of my some of my favorites and some that i just thought were very interesting uh, and not necessarily that i particularly liked but i thought were interesting and and yeah, it just allowed me to pop those in that way. And what role do you feel that short films play? Because we're talking about obviously that not many people see them. Um, they're not the same as feature films, so they're not as widely distributed. So what role do you feel like they play in maybe the discussion or the conversation about culture and nationalism and identity? Yeah, I think, I mean, I do think that probably the reality is that for most people, they're the calling card for the, for the feature film. Right. And they're, But they're also, you can try out your ideas and sometimes... Uh, you know, sometimes a short film will really launch somebody's career. It'll take off. It'll win awards, and and so on. And and absolutely, it's the, you know, it's it's the way in for most people. It's the, it's the, it's the testing ground. I mean, they had 
as I, as I say, Black 47 came out too late for me to write about, but they made a, a short film which, and Ranger, yeah. which is basically the a segment of Black 47. So it led them to try that out. It, it would be lovely if more people had an opportunity to see short films. Mm. And it's a bit like the short story. The short story is now quite popular. People like short stories now. So why would they not like short films? We're in a soundbite culture. Yeah. It doesn't take long to watch a short film. So in a sense, I think that perhaps people are losing out by not seeing them. Mm. Uh, and it would be great if you could have some kind of platform that would you know, so you don't always have to watch kiddies on skateboards if you're watching YouTube. You could watch a short film. And so it'd be lovely if there was some way of making that, you know, making people want, people engage with it. And I think they'd find they they liked it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Oh, we love kiddies on skateboard. Oh, I, lo- I love, love kiddies on skateboard. Yeah, absolutely love Amazing. them. But, uh, but there are plenty out there. So, <laughs> exactly. so yeah, it wouldn't be taking anything away. Yeah, I mean, perhaps, I mean, I, we there was uh, the short screen, but unfortunately short screen is usually... The graveyard, you know, shift in, in RTE is usually on 11, between 11 and midnight some ways. And not um, very much promoted. And not very much promoted, yeah, mostly social media. Yeah. Um. Um. So it's on it's on the RTE player for a little while, uh, which is which is kind of nice. But it, again, I suppose that message of go, go and watch the short film is, is rarely disseminated unless we get something like Stutterer. Yes. But of course... Stutterer, or in fact, actually, some of some of the shorts that you did choose did also receive Academy Academy Awards. Was that a was that a big kind of reason for you to yeah, to it, include them? It is. I, I wanted to include a few. Well, it was some. It was the animation uh, uh, and Six Shooter Six did, shooter, yeah. and also um, Granny O'Grim, which I just loved that yeah, film so much. Um, so I did want to. I wanted to put in a few high profile ones that people would recognise, mm. and. Um, yes, uh, they, they, you know, they can get a lot of attention for sure. Yeah, but you know, it would be nice. I mean, actually, I would say that the, the Formula F- Film Award now Screen Island website does have a great selection of short films on it, and I was able to find most of the ones I was looking for on that. Okay. Um, so it, maybe they need to promote it a bit more. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Um, and I have to say, people who are listening, just to, I suppose keep an eye out on film festivals that are are playing um, shorts programs because there there's always a wealth of really interesting content out there from Irish filmmakers. So I'm very very pleased that you in I was really chuffed to bits. I I don't think I've seen an academic um, text to do with Irish films that has yet included shorts. So I don't think. Well, no, actually, no. Martin McLoon um, did he, as well? he okay, had a he chapter did. on the short film in his book uh, Irish. Film, the emergence of a cinema. Which, uh, yeah. Okay. So oh, that okay. came out. I made my yeah, mistake. Yeah. So, Sorry, Mark McLean. <laughs> people can go back and find that. Um, so, one of the, you know, we talked about identity. We're talking about what are we preoccupied with. Um, we're talk- I was talking about men, so maybe we'll go back to we'll go back to the gender. I think just to kind of finish that off, and I'll I'll go back to kind of problematic portions of our of our of our films. Um, so I was thinking about you know you're talking about the Celtic Tiger, you're talking about the recession. Um, you mentioned Diane Negra and Ivan Tus- Yvonne Tasker's book Gendering the Recession a lot, and they talk about men who lose you know the theory of men losing out during the recession um have have you know are there depictions are is that what the gangster films are telling us i i think so i mean the, probably the classic one is parked uh, okay yes that, that part, film which yeah. is all about yeah, about the guy um it's Colin Meany, of course too who is always like the put upon little man yeah. um, mr ordinary <laughs> guy and so you know parked is the story where he's lost his home he's living in his car he parks on the seafront at um sandy mount he meets this young um, homeless guy, they they become friends. The homeless guy has a drug problem, and, and so on, and it works out. Uh, um, uh, but 
you know, it also says that his ultimate goal is he should meet a nice woman. <laughs> it's also going to be foreign because clearly that makes it a little bit more exotic. And she's going to have this gorgeous home and she's going to nurture him back into the mainstream again. Right. And that's the dream, right? So that's a problem for me, that the whole trajectory Absolutely. is a problem because actually women aren't always there just to nurture men back into the mainstream. Um, but absolutely. I mean, the gangster film has classically been about um, not getting an opportunity. So if you go, you know, dial right back to those great Cagney films of the 1930s, mm. 1940s, the gangster is the guy who has been promised the American dream, but the only way he can attain it is through criminality. And he's going to be public punished at the end for, for that ultimately. But you've kind of gone on, on that journey with him. So absolutely, the, the gangster film is, is a very good way of considering social inequality and lack of opportunity. And, and these films do that. I, what I find kind of funny about the Irish gangster film, and actually I don't find funny about the Irish gangster, is that we're meant to find them funny. Mm. Um, and so I actually... I think Intermission is probably still the best of them because it's very well made. Mm. And it seemed to set a pace for the, the kind of gangster caper film where we're all kind of these lads, the, with the lads and they're really funny and they're having a really good time and there's actually the violence, is, it's sort of there for, for titillation, but it's got no real consequences. Uh, and the kind of real tra tragic hero of the gangster film doesn't really emerge from these films so much because... It seems to me they're a little anxious about pushing it all the way, mm. about saying, actually, he's going to end up buried under six foot of concrete in a swimming pool in Spain, because that's what, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. it. Um, yeah. He's not going to be redeemed by a mother figure, uh, and or he's just going to be shot in his front door when he's bringing his kid to school. So I think there's a lot of, it seems to me there's a lot of almost fetishization in these films of poverty and of, 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 and of um, uh, social outsiderdom. Um, and it doesn't seem to me often in the films they don't really get at that really hardcore of 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 the, that connection between masculinity, criminality, and lack of opportunity. Mm. So where do where do women fit in all around this then? Oh, to nurture the men and make them feel good. <laughs> <laughs> make them feel good about life. How many films are there about female gangsters? Not many. Not many. I can't even think of I, off the top of my head. I'm not sure that I can think of one either. Yeah, at least yeah. not at least not an Irish one. Anyway. Not an Irish one. No, no. An Irish one. No. Um, so I think because um, kind of reverging on, uh, we're verging onto onto trauma again, and I I want to come back to the Catholic Church because I really want to talk about Calvary because I think that's a very complicated, very film, complicated because it's film, yeah. it's not an Irish film but it completely is. Anyway, we'll come back to that. But what I do want to talk about Northern Ireland because I think Northern Ireland on screen has been probably the most definitive. Um, you know, you know, national cinema in a very localized region. They talk about so they're very preoccupied with the troubles, um, which is something you talk about um in the chapter specifically in Northern Ireland. Which again, I was very glad to see because it's all very nuanced. It's very complicated. It's multi layered. It's really fascinating, especially from perhaps people you know from the south watching. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that. Um Obviously, as you know, as you're saying, they've been defined by the troubles, and mm -hmm. and all those films like in the name of the father. That's what yeah, that's what people think about. And mm -hmm. then the American kind of um, also sort of gangster films set in the north. Um, but those are those are fundamentally over. But then I then you get this question of what do we replace it by? Yeah. So you do have this rather kind of strange slew of films. Um, where you have the gangster becomes this kind of, no, sorry, I don't mean the gangster, I mean the terrorist, um, 
becomes this kind of domesticated figure. So yeah, you get films like The Mighty Kilt, where Robert Carlyle plays this uh, IRA man who's uh, come come out of prison. He's putting his life back in order. He's going to connect with his child and with his ex-partner. So the first thing he does is he puts on a pair of marigold cleaning gloves and to the tune of Tiger Feet, he goes around cleaning his shoddy department and turning it into a perfect home. And so there is this sort of rather bizarre post-trouble thread of the um, IRA freedom fighter uh, or terrorists, whichever way they include, they decide to label them, um, who 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 reintegrates himself into society, of course through the love of a good woman, mm. but also through the t- through taking up domestic life and putting aside um, his terror his terrorist activities, and that's sort of one strand. And then there are the historic films where people go back and revisit the troubles. Um, often again as a kind of testing ground for masculinity. Mm. And these are films really, again, about guys. But what is interesting is that there aren't that many films about life in Northern Ireland that are not yeah. about the troubles. Exactly, yeah. And, and I think they're, I mean, obviously the, you know, the big production is Game of Thrones, right? Course, and if yeah. you're working in film in Northern Ireland and you haven't been working Game of Thrones, where have you been? So maybe that's been a distraction in a way because people haven't had to think about <laughs> what they need to do because they right. can just work on Game of Thrones. Um, but, but there are just a very, very few films about what it's like to live in Northern Ireland and not about what it's like to live in Northern Ireland when your family was, was murdered, but just what it's like to live in Northern Ireland. I mean, obviously, if you live in Northern Ireland, you're still going to be living in a post-conflict society. But it's, but there's, there's, there's very, very little about that, just the ordinary dayness of, of living in Northern Ireland, about you know, films that are that are about something else other than being a survivor of the troubles. Um, and and I think that there's still a, a kind of imaginative void as to, you know, people, how do you, how do you fill that void? Uh, and, 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 and people haven't really quite worked that out yet. Mm. So, so they are post-trauma films uh, and they're, and they're often films about trying to make your life or, or going back and trying to understand stuff. And maybe it's, mm. it's about we have to st- keep going back and making those documentaries and, and those feature films to try to understand what went on before we can move into the next phase of filmmaking where we mm. talk about really about people having other dilemmas in life. Um, so I think the Northern Ireland cinema, well, you know, it's well supported. People want it to happen. Um, but I, I think it hasn't yet moved really into its next phase, if you like. Yeah. Do you think this will change with Brexit? Well, who knows? I mean, who, who, who knows what's going to happen with Brexit? I mean, mm. apart from anything else, uh, I don't know where um, Boris Johnson is going to get the money to fund many of his ambitions. Yeah. But if he takes it out of the arts, and I don't know if he's prepared to, to fund Northern Ireland to the extent. I mean, everything in Northern Ireland is hugely subsidised by, right. by the UK government. Yes. So we we don't know what he's going to do. I think Boris Johnson, if he does continue to be the British PM, has no love for Northern Ireland and, and doesn't care about it at all. Yeah. Um, as far as he's concerned, it's, you know, it's Islington somewhere else. So... They should be worried, I think, about the, the, the continued subsidies. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I, th- I think it's, it's one of many things because after all, they won't be able to apply for a lot of the European funding that they have been able to apply to, for. Mm. Um, it, may, it may affect co-production funding. It may affect a lot of different things that they've, that they've, that they've been able to take for granted as EU, as EU members, the, the filmmakers. Mm. So I, I don't think it's probably good news for them. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how how this all plays out because their industry's really been enriched by things like 
Game of Thrones. Oh, huge! Yeah, the, yeah. Um, so I mean, I I I, I was speaking to some Northern Irish um, filmmakers recently who were very concerned, and they said just generally it's a very anxious time. Um, so I would hope that um, they're able to uh, diversify, or at least. Um, or they don't that whatever they don't take a hit and I hope that no, the industry I, I, does not disappear because for no, whatever reason I, I agree and it's also been fantastic I mean Game of Thrones has been great for Northern actors Amazing. as well I mean so many there's so many yeah. recognisable Northern actors who are now getting roles in films um, because they've been uh, characters in Game in Game of Thrones so you know that's been Game of Thrones has been fantastic mm. but. You know they need. You know, they're in post Game of Thrones mode now, and as you say, in Brexit mode, and uh, and it, and it is a gap, um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, see how they get it, get themselves out of it. Yeah, I think you end that chapter on quite a positive note because although, um, it still focuses it's on the politics of Northern Ireland. Derry Girls is enormously popular. Um, so I gonna, love Derry Girls. It's yeah, so fantastic. it just came out. Just as I was finishing that, it came out of nowhere. As far yeah. as I was concerned, where would Derry girls come from it's so great and and I just hope it's not like you know you could think oh Father Ted you, they never made Father Ted again right because you can't and these things mm. pop up and it's not like oh well now we've got the formula so we can keep making you know Belfast girls or you know whatever yeah, uh, yeah. down boys <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah you know I'm not certain if it's if it's a blip or if it's a trend, but mm. I did think, yeah, I thought Terry Girls was fantastic. Yeah, I loved it so much, and it was, um, it was just such really refreshing writing. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was just great to 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 have such amazing female characters on screen. Yeah, fantastic um, in various yeah. ages. Just really, really brilliant. So hopefully, yes, I think you end saying hopefully we'll see hopefully, more of the yeah. scene. On I hope so as well. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, one thing I want to kind of finish off with Northern Ireland, and this is something that I did not see at all. But you noted a couple of times is that mostly it's from the Republican side and the national side. All these films, all these films are and very rarely from, say, a UVF point of view or a um, a unionist point of view. Why do you think that is? I thought that was such an interesting observation. Yeah, that's I mean, that's sort of something that's really been part of the history of the, of the um, depiction of the troubles on screen. In part, it's because rem- Republicanism has a more romantic ring to it. And it's the kind of doomed loser. Or the underdog, and and everybody's kind of rooting for the underdog, and it was also you know the argument was often made well, um, you know Protestant there weren't that many loyalist Protestant filmmakers, you know they they weren't there was no tradition there of filmmaking, and there hasn't been a great kind of film school tradition in the north, and and also if you were Protestant if you're middle class many of the, of those people actually emigrated, and so they would have been gone off to the UK or wherever else, and not not making their own films whereas the America and Hollywood was very invested in republicanism and in making films that were about that republican underdog character and often you know it's the kind of the hawk and the dove and then sure. you get you know absurd films like blown away which is perhaps the worst of them all <laughs> um, but it, it still seems to be the case that people shy away from any kind of empathy with loyalism on screen okay um now you know, there's more and more and more fiction, written fiction coming out about the North. And maybe that will lead to more films coming out and complex and interesting fiction writing, like Milkman Mm. and those sort of films. Mm. So so maybe that will in turn lead to somebody kind of opening the door because all you get now is the loyalist as kind of fiend, right? The loyalist as as monster. Um, And and that hasn't changed. That's been really, really consistent. And, um, you know, maybe 
maybe they just need to move on and leave it behind them or or maybe somebody will come and make a really interesting and complex film about what it meant to be a loyalist in the troubles perhaps and you know i was thinking you know i'm just thinking about our own you know our cinema down in the south as well not just the north do you think irish um there's you know the underdog do you think the victim is a big thing in irish cinema yes i think so no i mean i do think that that's slightly changing and one of the things i mean i have been thinking a lot about black 47 as it came out too mm. late too late for the book but i was um giving a conference paper on it the other day and i think the interesting thing about black 47 is it's about it's about a guy who avenges the famine yeah. and 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 i was you know reading stuff about it and here's stephen ray saying this is a film about not being a loser. This is a film about being a winner and not being a victim. So it's a kind of, you know, we were talking about neoliberalism before. Neoliberal culture doesn't like victims. It doesn't like whingers, right? Yeah. In, in neoliberal talk, if you're, a, if you're a, a victim, you're a loser. And you haven't made the best of your opportunity that this fantastic economy has offered you. And so... I think that, you know, there is a sort of turn. And I think if you look back at all the centenary of celebration, you know, we, we, all these historical events, we're celebrating success a lot of the time yeah. too. And and it's, it's an interesting and sort of slightly uncomfortable turnaround where maybe we're not always the losers. And if we're not always the losers, you know, in rugby or whatever it yeah, is, yeah. Ah, what are we? And can we live up to being, you know, can we be winners? Is that a, a new identity? So I'm, I'm interested in that. And I think it's probably a shift that you know, that will take quite a long time. Um, but there's always still that, that kind of romantic, the romance of the, of the underdog is, I think, mm -hmm. seems to be part of human nature. And speaking of kind of the underdog, the victim, I'm thinking about the impression, oppression from the Catholic Church mm -hmm. and how preoccupied we are with that whether it be in, from 2004 up till now, we still are. Um, and, you know, do you think this is, do you think film and art is where, especially art, is, is this where we're making sense? Is this where we're dealing with it? Is this where we're, if we're, are we getting it all out in the open here? I think we did very, very much evidently at the end of the last century. So throughout mm -hmm. the 90s, the really key interventions were those um, TV exposés of, yeah. of, of Mary Raftery's um uh, documentaries and others uh, and you get then you know, it, it seeps into film with the Magdalene sisters and, and you know again questionably an Irish film but let's say for the sake of argument it was uh, and then of course you know Calvary wow um, and as you say it's a really complex film mm. in the end I like it right? I, have to, I have to say I like yeah, it because other people say Calvary hated I like it uh, and I thought it was complex I thought it was interesting I thought it was really thoughtful it was faulty in, in certain ways um, I, there was a bit too much kind of smart Alec dialogue in it. Um, but it's about this figure of the good priest. Yeah. And that has been a sort of slight trend. And partly it's, it's narrative, narrative always turns, it always reinvents itself. But I think, you know, what I thought about Calvary and this figure of the good priest was, you know, when we lost Catholicism and, and people lost their faith, and that was an inevitability, whatever about, um, abuse, but abuse accelerated it because it, we are a rapidly secularizing society. Mm. But we also lost authority figures that we could turn to. And one of the one of the 
things about contemporary society is the loss of authority figures. And so people are looking for replacements and they often turn to very peculiar replacements. You know, you might say Donald Trump or <laughs> yeah. you know, Boris Johnson or whoever you want to say. So it seems to me that the good priest becomes the kind of replacement authority figure. In a way, it's somebody who does actually have a sense of moral purpose, who does know right from wrong, but who is also faulty like us, rather than being the old priest who's thundering from the pulpit. And and that's why I think, obviously, having Brendan Gleeson play the role helps very much, because he's very much kind of good paternalistic right. figure. Mm. Um, but that, that's what I think that film is about. It's that desire to find out of the kind of rubble and the dis, 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 the horror of the story of Catholic of the Catholic Church is that actually pulling something out of it and saying, actually, you know, religion did give people something or a, a moral figure that you could look up to is quite important um, for people. And so that's where I think the good priest comes in. Mm. And I mean, rural Ireland and small town Ireland in that film is depicted as being completely amoral. Yes. They burn the church down. Um they kill the dog. They kill a dog. Um, Brendan Gleeson's good priest character gets shot in the end. Yes, uh, absolutely. Blamed for the, the bad priest's actions. Um, and that's such kind of an interesting kind of way to frame a priest character. It is. And of course, the thing about him is he's also, you know, he, he has been married before. He's got a daughter yeah. before. So that kind of lets him off on the celibacy thing. And he's right. got a dark past. Right? He's got a dark past. So he's an, he's an interesting, flawed character. He could have been a detective in a different film. Right? He's got that kind of persona and he, he's got the alcohol problem in the background, too. Mm -hmm. So he's that kind of authority figure that we like because he's a sort of a seeker hero. But he's also really faulty. Um, and, and I think that's what makes him kind of strong and interesting. And, and then, as you say, he can't survive the, the moral abyss that is this uh, small rural uh, Yatesian community. Right. So John Michael McDonough famously said that this is not an Irish film. To me, this is unmistakably Irish. Is this an Irish film and why or why not? Of course, it's an Irish film. He was being provocative and he got a lot of attention. Um, this is unmistakably an Irish film. And then he, what he went on to say was, it's not like those awful Irish films you saw before. And so he wanted his film to be, you know, to be seen as, again, what we were talking about, not the old fella beating the kid in the rain and all, and, and yeah. all of those sort of um, 80s themes. Um, it's absolutely an Irish film. It's got the essential Irish setting, which is Yeats country. It does look beautiful um, with the, you know, the Atlantic coast. And that's that's always been the heart of Celtic Island has been the West. Right. So it's absolutely, it's got the setting. It's got the theme of uh, clerical sexual abuse, which is not only our story, but it's very much our story. So absolutely. It's got some of the great Irish actors um, of, uh, it's like a roll call of Irish actors. There's, mm -hmm. you know, two Gleasons in it and, and many others. And it's... Um, it's it's wordy, which is also part of Irish culture to have you know, a facility with language. Um, I, I can't think of what not Irish, what's not Irish about it, apart from the fact they don't actually speak Irish, and that's the only thing. Yeah, no, it's very true, and uh, I think um, that's a discussion because we watched Calvary again in my Irish contemporary film and TV class, and that was kind of brought up, and everyone was sort of like complete, like there wasn't one person who argued against the fact that it wasn't an Irish film. And I feel like you can kind of, you can kind of almost measure an Irish film based on how many how many Gleasons you have. And there's yes. two out of four. So <laughs> <laughs> you're on a winner with yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
there was one thing that kind of struck me about your writing and like obviously I kind of keep saying that because there's so much about this book that I loved but you don't kind of shy away from saying well this is a problem in this film um and that's kind of scattered throughout the book in various you know to do with various themes and mostly that's to do I find with things like race things like gender so what is quite a problem problematic common recurring trope or tropes as it were themes as it were representations well it, it is gender it, it is very much gender but i mean absolutely race um that there is this theme when when the uh, f- failed character at the heart of the story um if let's say for the second he is not being saved by the nurturing woman he is being saved by the by the, the person of color who mm. may also be female i mean look at once Right, he's redeemed by an outsider woman um, who is also a a non-national, and that's a theme again. uh, If you take a film like Kisses, where the two kids um, uh, run away from home and they go to the city and they encounter all these dangers, but on their way, they're always being nurtured by non-Irish people, and again, parked, as I was saying, Mm. rescued by this non. So, in a sense. I think that perhaps it's it's a it's a fear of being appearing uh, politically incorrect. So you have to have the uh, new Irish or new immigrants, whatever you want to call them. Um, you have to, you know, you can't critique them right because that would be racist. So they always have to be better than the, than the Irish. But they also seem to me to become a stick to beat the Irish with. So 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 the local Irish fail, and 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 these better people are there to to help us, you know, become. Uh, uh, true citizens and I think you know again it's like we're talking about gender it's about the fact that there are very very few um, I mean how many Irish directors are there who are not white Irish second third fourth fifth sixth generation Irish uh, many of the middle class most of them educated to third level and so on so again it's about it's about making opportunities for people to tell their stories. Mm. And again, I think that, you know, again, it starts with, with short films. I think, it, you know, it should be part of TV and not just as actors, but, but, but writing the stories, making them, producing them. And I think that's we really, really have to get ourselves up to speed on that. Mm. So what's next then? Where do you think that where do you foresee Irish films being in, say, like what's the next stage for us what are the narratives that we're going to see are we you know are we going to see you know post-marriage equality referendum queer cinema are we going to see post-referendum empowered women on screen um various kind of narratives that are very feminism based what's going to happen yeah i think so i mean i i do think that the, the things will improve they, they they pretty much have to um and and, and absolutely but again very little representation as you see as the, as you say of queer identities on screen mm-hmm. Um, as well. So all of those uh, voices, um, I think, have to be heard and I think will be heard. And I think people will realize, you know, that they need to include those stories. I mean, I do think, you know, as you were saying earlier, we need a better relationship with TV. And I think people need to be allowed to develop their talents through TV and to to develop their storytelling Mm. um, through television. And it shouldn't be one or the other. Uh, you know, in, in the wider world, people are moving very comfortably between film and television and long form TV. And, and there are, you know, so many opportunities out there for TV as well. That there's so many platforms that need content. So I think, I think there needs to be a better, I, I do think quite often it comes back to the story. In fact, I think we need slightly more development of, 
at the development level that people should be allowed to experiment with ideas mm. and that there should be encouragement. And I think, you know, as you say, quotas, incentives, whatever it is, to bring in more of those stories. And then we'll have a, we'll have a, a, a cinema that can reflect on what it means to be Irish with greater um, depth than we currently have but I think it'll happen I'm not you know I, I don't despair um, but I you know we do have to really really consider television as part of what we mm. do because we're really like our industry is not very like it's it's young it's in its it is, it's, <clears throat> excuse me it's very young uh, it's very young we don't have a lot of film schools no. um, we don't have we still have uh, uh, really very few people if you think about it working mm. in it um, and all of that, you know, hopefully that will improve because, you know, people need to be, but I mean, also people, and these are really bigger questions, they need to be able to feel that they can earn a living. Yeah. Um, they, I, I know there has been this new um, announcement by the minister that you can take a year yeah. on, on, on social welfare, and I think that's fantastic. Um, but uh, we, we really need to consider what other career paths, what are the opportunities. And we also need to consider, I know we have Dell Studios in Limerick, but it shouldn't all be Dublin. Yeah. Um, we need to consider how we can get you know, regional people talking about the regions, yeah. not as as a place out there, but as somewhere where I live. And and I think all those things, um, it's really hard. I know it's really hard, you know, where does the money come from? But there needs to be, a, people need to be, and I think that, you know, Screen Ireland has to be an advocate. It can't just be a funding source. It has to be formulating policy and driving change. And, 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 if it isn't, mm. you know, who is? Mm. No, I completely agree. And I think it's so interesting in recent years how, you know, productions like The Young Offenders have been supported by BBC. Yes. And kind of, I feel like RT are just catching up to their, you know, BBC came in and they supported them wholeheartedly in a series. And that's when, you know, RT came in. I, yes. I kind of feel like yeah, the missing, BBC, the, the, the but missing with RT. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, look at um, as we speak, Lenny Abramson is in Trinity f uh, filming uh, Normal People for yeah. the BBC. For the BBC, yeah. So why not for RTE? Um, so yeah, absolutely, there has to be. I mean, it, that's where that's where the experience, you know, should people should be getting that experience and being allowed to fail as well. I mean, we have to accept. We have to accept. People get very critical. Oh, look at these films supported you know by public money and nobody goes to see them but but people have to be able to fail as well yeah um and that has to be part of you know hollywood fails way more than it succeeds and an industry has to have has to be, people have to be able to fail absolutely no i fully agree and i think we're coming to the end of it now yeah i want to kind of end on something that you asked it was a, a subheading in your first chapter which was why make an irish film and you talked about the importance of national uh, cinema. And I might just read out the quote, actually, because and we'll talk about it then. Um, and I think you kind of you bookended in your conclusion as well. Um, and it's it, you know, you're kind of saying. Having a national cinema is good for people. <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> it's the way we tell our stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not everybody reads books. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think absolutely we need we need national cinema. We need and a, and, a, and a TV as well. Here we go. The reliance on revenue generation as a justification for funding is not unique to the Irish film industry and reflects the wider neoliberal environment. It is, however, an approach that is increasingly coming under scrutiny for what it omits, primarily issues of pleasure both in making a film and consuming it. Nor does the instrumentalist argument help in any way to consider how films or television articulate and address societal concerns or create community. 
It fails to consider how watching a film can broaden viewers' cultural horizons and introduce them to alternative ways of being, and it ignores existing reports that arts and culture make a contribution to health, education, crime reduction, and a sense of well-being. So I think that sums it up. So can you talk about this Irish yeah, national sure. cinema? Yeah, no, it it, it is. Um, it's part of that. You know, how, how does how does Screen Ireland justify the government giving it money? Hmm. It justifies the government giving it money primarily by saying, "Look at the amount of jobs we can create if you give us money, because we'll bring in all this money and so on." So it's all about you know, it's all about money and uh, and so on. But it it you can't just put a monetary value on the arts. Hmm. Uh, you have to consider. You know, as I'm saying there, that watching a film, it can really expand your mind. It can open you up to ideas. And I think, you know, it's really, really, really important to people to see their culture represented on screen because it validates that culture. It says your culture is, is worth it. It's worth us making a story about your culture because it's important. And if, if we don't have people telling Irish stories, then it's like, oh, we're not important enough. Or if we only ever have people from other countries using us as a location or it's a Braveheart mm-hmm. or whatever, um, then, then it's no good. And, and, and I think that, um, it's very, very hard to measure that. So you have to take it for granted that there is a pleasure in the arts. And this mm-hmm. is not just for film, but, but, you know, I, I do get worried about the fact that, you know, I completely understand we need to fund the sciences in this country. Mm-hmm. And I completely understand we need more people to take computer science as, as an undergraduate degree. But we also really need people to take art subjects at university. And we need people mm-hmm. to become filmmakers to tell those stories. Because, you know, what will be left at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always, it's a kind of living memory, all these films. It marks time. There's nothing like watching a film thinking, oh my God, look at those huge telephones. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, did it look like that then? Films should be challenging. It doesn't, they don't have to, but you know, challenging films that make us think differently about who we are, where we live are really, really, really important. And, and you can't just measure that by the amount of people who get jobs. So that's why I want people to think differently about, yeah. about funding. And I think, like, I think cinema is the, probably the most important social medium of the 20th and 21st century because people come together to watch and they come together to laugh or to cry or to feel scared together. And I feel like it's a great accessible platform for people to explore their identities, cultural, societal, social commentary, or if they just want to escape and watch a gangster film for half an hour, or, <laughs> having, or, or watch cat videos, <laughs> them into the ground. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. yeah no, absolutely. You should be allowed to watch gangster then, films. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they're they're vitally important. No, they're vitally important, and 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 again, it's come back. But so is TV, and then yes, uh, and, yeah. and people need to be challenged by TV mm. stuff, and they need to see a much broader spectrum of of lives being represented on screen. Um, so yeah, it's 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 really important, and even if you're not. Even if and we'd love everybody to go to the cinema the whole time, mm-hmm. but people form um, uh, communities, online communities, and so on, and, and you can see, you know, people uh, tweeting or whatever it is, and discussing mm-hmm. uh, TV, film, and so on the whole time. So it's not you know, we haven't social media hasn't lost uh, the sense of community that you get from watching something. It's just change it into a different space. Yeah. So so people shouldn't be too worried about that. I mean, of course, yeah, yeah everybody wants everybody to go to the cinema, yes. but but you know, it forms other communities are formed in other ways. Absolutely. And I, I love that whole, this whole, um, I suppose I, I find kind of this period of, of change, of change of view habits quite exciting because 
there's so much content on Netflix and yet it's everybody's, it's a real talking point, you know. It is, it's it's the water cooler. It's the Completely, water cooler yeah, it's like a whole new water cooler because you have it at your disposal, all of it at once. Um, and that's not to say it's kind of nice to tune in once a week and you have that thing to look forward to. Um, oh, I love the bodyguard. <laughs> um, so lastly, I think the last thing I really wanted to finish on is film studies itself because, you know, one of the things that we fit, that me personally, aren't my idle class on media theory and criticism in our last class just asked the question, why theory? Um, why do this at all? And, you know, why this book? Why? I mean, you kind of answered this, you know, when we started this conversation, but where does film studies fit into the cultural conversation of of Irish production? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's really important. Um, one of the things that I've always uh, been, been kind of, I've been going on about for a long time is we don't have a very good critical culture. Hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, okay, you know, sometimes there'll be great articles in the ticket on, on a Friday, uh, or, you know, you might get a really good sort of, you know, flare up of a debate in the, in the papers or on social media or whatever else. But overall, you know, our, our newspaper coverage of cinema is, is, it's about the film stars who have already signed a contract to promote the film, so they're clearly not going to critique it. And it's, you know, aggregator sites like Rotten Tomatoes, five stars, I'm going to watch it, three, oh no, I'm not. Um, so in part, you know, I think that um, studying film, studying media uh, at university or in school, which I actually think they could be doing more of, um, makes people critical consumers. Mm-hmm. And it and it opens people up to thinking more about, do I like it? Do I not like it? Yeah. But actually asking, why do I like it? You know, and, 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 and what would I have changed perhaps in this film? And, and so I think that film studies is um, really important and, and, and media studies and, and uh, and it shouldn't just be oh well you know we're watch we're you know we're reading the book for our transition year so we're going to watch the film of the book oh, yeah. you know all that kind mm. of stuff that's that's very unexciting. Um, so I think that it's really important. I think it's really important that people watch film critically and think about it. I mean, not the whole time, as you say, you want to kick back sometimes yeah. the evening and just watch you know absolute rubbish and and and, and fine. But I think. Yeah, I think we need a, a stronger critical culture. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I wish I had it when I was doing my class on contemporary Irish film. But that's yeah. taken me f- easily four years to, to write. Well, it's it's brilliant. And well, thank it's, you very it's much. It's a book I would encourage all filmgoers, um, Irish thank otherwise, to, to go and, and look at. Um, Ruth Barton, thank you so much for talking to me. No, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. That was a fantastic interview. I really enjoyed doing it.